revelation of the fact that um, it is God's love that that wins in all in all things. Amen. So uh, that's what we're going to be proclaiming. I want to encourage you. This is Trinity Sunday on the church calendar, <clears throat> and I want to bring our attention to John 16, verses 12 to 15. And um, th this is the text for today as well as Psalm 8. But it says this, I have more things, many more things, to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. How does that read in your translation, babe? I said, Denise doesn't have her private translation. I'm sorry. She has her favorite translation that she carries with her. Uh, but I'll let her look that up real quick. <clears throat> but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will speak um, on his He'll, he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose it to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Well, how's that opening verse, verse 12, read for you, babe? Amen. Um, you know, this verse, verse 12 of John 16, it, uh, it reads in my translation as saying, I have more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. And then Denise's translation, you, you cannot handle them. Now, I, I can't tell you the number of times. I, I've titled the message this morning, Bearing the Unbearable. I cannot tell you the number of times I've, I've, I've read these words of Jesus or I've heard them, and the way that I've either overtly interpreted it or heard it spoken was that it, it sounds something like this. Jesus speaking to his friends who've been walking with him, and he says, you know, I've got a lot more that I'd like to be able to share with you. I've been with you for three years, but right now you can't handle it, and a little bit later on you will be able to. So in my religious contractual way of thinking, it, it seemed to endorse what I'd heard most of my journey, which was something like this. You know what? Um, you, 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 you aren't quite there yet. But if you behave in this certain kind of way, then, then, then God will do this for you. Or, or if you respond differently to that trial in your life, well, then then it will be different. And so it, those, those two words, if and when, and I, I cannot, you know, just those, those words I have heard proclaimed repeatedly and often, and they presume a couple of really critical things. One is this, they presume that God isn't where I am. Is everybody following what I'm trying to say right now, right? So, I have a lot more things to, to, to say to you, but you can't bear them. I must be lacking something, right? That's the conclusion. Is everybody, am I the only one that ever heard that, right? 
Okay, so then there, there's this idea. God is distant and he's not there. And the other one is that I don't have what I need. I'm lacking something. And, and beloved, it is in the religious tea that we have drank. Um, you know, I, I was speaking with a nephew's wife in the last year or so. And she was expressing a deep frustration, actually beginning to kind of open up her heart about the pain that she was feeling because her son now, you know, growing up, and she's watching him wrestle with an illness that it, you know, by all, by all definition probably came through her hereditary line, but he's got asthma, struggled terribly. And, and she said, it's, I, I've just had such a difficult time. Because it seems like I'm praying and God's not willing to hear me. Or, or if there's some kind of lesson, what am I not learning? Because after all, isn't there supposed to be some sort of lesson baked into this thing? To which I said, tried to say very kindly but clearly, no. See, the gospel is the proclamation of the God who came to meet us in the unbearable, not to see if we can bear up under it or to endure it, but to be present with us in the unbearable places of our life. And here's the thing, we all have them. Um, I was, I, I, I know I shared parts of this story before, so forgive the repetition, but I was the ripe old age of 24 when I was paged to the ER. It was one of the first times I'd been paged in, and I was directed to what's called the quiet room. That quiet room is anything but quiet. It is that place where I, my job was to, was to console those who were going through and facing unbearable moments in their life. And it's in that quiet room that I, I can tell you I've heard groans and cries that you never want to have to hear. On that day, I was directed into the room, and there was a woman. Now, what I found out later is that the, the emergency that had just come into ER was an infant. And the woman in the, in the waiting room there, in that, in that quiet room, was the babysitter of that baby that had been left with her on the first day that mom had left for work and had returned to work. She went to check on the baby because she hadn't heard the baby. She found the baby not breathing. That baby never started breathing again. And then mom was brought in. And there is no training that can prepare you for for trying to come and to be come alongside of someone and, and first to console this babysitter and then the mother, oh my goodness, to have to take a lifeless baby to its mother and it doesn't end there, to have to go back to that mother to say, I now have to take this baby from you. That's, those are jobs. They, they never bothered to tell me how difficult that was going to be. 
Now, these are days long before cell phones, or at least before we had them. And so when finally all of that had cleared out, I can remember a deep conviction inside of my body. I, I, I called Denise because at that time we would drive to work together. She would drop me off at the hospital and she would go to work at the state uh, school. That's when it used to be over uh, at the corner uh, right across from IPFW. You know, guys, she used to work there as a psychologist. And so she'd drop me at Parkview and then she'd go to work and then she'd come back and collect me and we'd head home. And so I called her at her office and just said, look for me on the way home. I'll be somewhere along the way. Just find me. And so she, she picked me up. And, and I remember as I was walking home trying to shake this awful day off of me, that deep inside of me, the conviction of my body was, I never want that to happen in my life because it was unthinkable. And then seven years later, the very thing that I would have never wished on anyone came to bear upon us. The only thing it was, it was worse. We found out that this little baby that was to be born in just a few days died in her body. I sent her to the doctor in faith, believing that nothing was wrong, while I was painting the baby's room. And she called me. And later that day, after trying to figure out where we were, what was going on, we finally decided, okay, we're going to go ahead and try to move ahead with this delivery. Interestingly, seven years later, we're entering in through doors just a few feet away from the emergency room entrance. Now there's a new entrance to a new birthing center. And we're walking through the doors where you're greeted with smiles and anticipation and, and, and people expecting to see a joyful anticipation on your face. The only thing I felt was dread. I'm looking at other families, not trying to feel scorn at them. But I, 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 we're walking in a birthing center, but it was like... It's like we're walking into a funeral home. We're greeted with joyful faces, and yet we have nothing to express. There are no words that can express how hollow and empty it felt to walk into those doors. And just a few feet behind us comes a, a young pregnant girl. By the way, at that time, that young pregnant girl, I saw no dad. And I remember the judgment that I felt. I said, God, I would have taken care of that baby. I could be a dad. This isn't just. Hours later, almost a full day later, trying to give birth to a child that's not alive is more difficult the baby isn't co i mean there's just there's no cooperation going on so finally we're down to the last last point of labor 
And Denise is exhausted and in tears. And the nurse that's in the room looks at her and says, it's almost over. To which she turned without flinching, looked her straight in the eye and said, no, it's not. It's just begun. She was dead on. What I had dreaded seven years earlier was squarely on us. And I had no way to escape. The unbearable had become reality. Now, I, I want to I be clear in stating, sharing that story. It's very personal. But I know we're not, we're not unique in having to walk through the unbearable moment. I, I think of Jen with her sister right now. I, I mean, my heart aches when I walk with friends and see friends bearing the unbearable. Every one of us have had times that, that thoughts that we've like, I don't think I could ever, ever face that, and then we find ourselves facing it and living in the reality that we thought we could never, ever get through. And again, I, I, I want to be clear. I know that we are not the only people. But it's not the only time that I felt it. You know, I, I had an autoimmune disorder. And thankfully, I had surgery. And, you know, I haven't dealt with any problems. But now, I have five sons. And after the fourth of my five sons were diagnosed with autoimmune illness, it just wrecked my, in my insides. I couldn't, I was like, it just felt like a weight I couldn't get off of me. When we got the call from our son and our daughter-in-law as they're on the way to the hospital saying, I think something's wrong with this pregnancy, and we said, no, 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 it can't be. And later, Denise greeted me. She said nothing but came in tears, and I knew what the answer was, that Reagan, a little child, had gone to be with Jesus. See, the unbearable comes, and it comes in circumstances of pain, loss, suffering, circumstances that break our hearts, that shatter our lives, that bring us to tears. Now, before I go any farther, I do want to say this, that the unbearable can also include the opposite, inexpressible moments of beauty and love and joy. For me, interestingly, just about, oh my goodness, 18 months later, something like that, when we were again in a labor room and I heard the cry of my next son's birth. And I heard his sound of his voice. I couldn't hold the tears. I couldn't hold my composure. I began to shake. And I had tears of joy running down my face because it was an inexpressible. And it was at that moment I went, oh, my goodness, I've got a lot of grief in here. See, Moments like those are not managed by words or principles, are they? Like, you know, this is how you, ha how you deal with that. Well, can I just say this, a couple of things about that. Words, first of all, are very frail and weak to meet us in the, in the depth of hurt. 
And in fact, probably one of the greatest words of advice that came to my wife, I walked in the day after Dylan had been born, and there was a doctor sitting at her side, and I heard him make this statement. He said, there are people that are going to come through these doors, and they're going to say a lot of stupid things. But just know they're trying to meet you. Never could more accurate words be spoken. Because you know what? Words can't meet us in the unbearable. They just don't. You know, people who come so confident in their convictions to offer an explanation for your pain, truth be told, those often feel more like daggers to the heart than any kind of direction that they think they're offering. And here's the truth. Comfort in the unbearable, when we encounter that, comfort comes in the form of presence. End of sentence. When I know that someone is just sitting with me, that someone's sitting next to me in the pain, not trying to explain it, not trying to blame me for it, just, just, you're just here with me. Beloved, the good news that we proclaim on this Sunday, Trinity Sunday, is this. God knows there is such a thing as the unbearable. And he's not left us alone, but he's come to us. And he's come to us not just to free us from sin, but to embrace our pain. And he speaks life to the lie that we are alone in it. And if we'll allow, he is never more present than when we are walking in the unbearable. The God who bore our sin and our sorrow and our grief. It's for our well-being that he was scourged. Beloved, listen to this. He meets us in the unbearable. And I want to proclaim that as good news over us this morning because I know that we're a company of friends and a lot of us have walked through a lot of unbearable and that's where we're at. The unexplainable. From the gospel text this morning, I want to proclaim this and it's good news. Please hear this. Jesus isn't rebuking his disciples. He actually knows where they are. I know that there are things that I'd like to say to you, but you cannot bear them. Number one, watch this. God knows the unbearable. And he's not off-put by it. He knows his friends are sitting there trying to sort this out. Wait a minute. I thought Messiah was supposed to like this, and you're talking about death, and... You know, I was reading Luke 22. It's a normal part of my daily reading. It's where I've been in Luke 22. I'm going to reference it a couple of different times this morning. But verse 45, listen to this. This just never really struck me until I was reading it. I was like, oh, my word. He came to his disciples. You know, after he's in the garden and he's praying, and he came to his disciples. Look at verse 45. You don't need to turn there, but listen. He came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping from sorrow. They weren't just tired. Grief had overcome them. They didn't. Do you know what you know what grief does to you? It, it's exhausting. They're grieving. They're like, I, I'm gonna take a nap. I don't know how to sort this. And Jesus knows that their world is swirling. And I want you to hear this. I want to proclaim this as good news over us this morning. He was not irritated at their weakness or lack. I have more to say to you. 
and I'm really kind of irritated you can't get it. It's okay. The Spirit will come. He's not saying if you had it together or when you do, in the midst of the unbearable, he assured them of what? You're not going to be alone. Jesus knows we all have a limit. He knows our frame. He's not sitting here trying to put us to the test. You bear up under this, and then you'll get the prize. Then I'll show up. Actually, he said, I'm coming to you in the midst of your pain. So the baked-in test, that's a lie. He knows the unbearable. And his assurance to his disciples was not, you know, you perform for me, but that God is coming to them to reveal. Now watch this. What God is going to come to do is not reveal their lack or their weakness God is going to reveal God. That's theology that's worth rehearsing. When God comes, what he's primarily about in our life is revealing God. When we hear a gospel that is proclaiming at us that he's really worried about trying to fix you up, you've you've got a tainted message, beloved. What God does when he reveals himself When he comes, is to reveal God. Oh, wait a second. Didn't he just say in John 16, he'll convict the world in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment? And what what he goes on to reveal is that what he's revealing is himself. The promise of the Spirit is that God is going to take from the secrets of the Father's heart and make them known to the human frame. Beloved, God knows the unbearable, and he's assuring them that they'll not be alone. And, and, and here's the second thing I want to say is that not only that God knows the unbearable, but that the Trinity knows what you do not know. Not that you can do more or perform better or the mistakes that you've made. God knows. But here's what also God knows. He knows that our revelation of love is like this. He uses that word, and we, we think, oh, yeah, I think I know that word. Let me give us some Bible verses, okay? When God wanted to reveal love, he demonstrates it. He didn't say, um, you, know, you know what love is. You've seen it in your life. Let me point to this. Now, Jesus said, you know, as a, as a, Dad, you know, a a father would actually give food to his children when he asks. How much more would your father not give good gifts? But but God, Romans 5, verse 8, demonstrates his love. Why is that? Because he knows what we don't know. That we don't really get it. God demonstrates his own love and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when God, what God wants us to know that we are not aware of is his love and that he chooses to reveal that his love is not describing something or talking about it, but he demonstrates it in his life. And his method of demonstrating it, watch this, and please, this is the gospel. He embraces in his human frame all of the brokenness of humanity, 
all of the rage of hell into his body. He bears the unbearable to become present to the unbearable in humanity. And that's the gospel. I have much more to say to you, but you cannot bear it. And this is hours before Jesus knows he's going to bear the weight to reveal the love that no one had ever even known or conceived or hadn't even got able to figure out in their heads. So I want to proclaim this over us on Trinity Sunday. God knows the unbearable. He came to meet us in the unbearable to be present to us and to fellowship with us in the unbearable to reveal what Paul says later, God demonstrates his love, Romans 5, Romans 8, I've become convinced that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Beloved, the road to my own healing, one of the most significant moments came by way of a letter that was written, and it was written really in the form of a story from a friend. And the details of that story I don't even fully completely remember, but she was writing this story in real time from heaven's perspective, and she felt like the Lord had laid this on her heart, and she wrote it, and she wrote it to me. And as I'm reading it, again, I don't remember the exact words, but the most healing moment in that story was the revelation that God was, God was in the pain with me. And something in that revelation, just it was just one simple line at the very end of this long story, that, that God was moved for the pain that I was in. Something switched. That there was a God who is present to me. Jesus' words to his friends proclaim that God's love is not just a fact to be known or lived in, but encountered and experienced in our lives as we surrender to his leadership. God knows what we don't know. Well, there's more I want to show you. Well, what is that more? Let's look at that. The more... The more isn't just accomplishing more or acquiring more knowledge. You know, the perfect result of a test that we encounter. The more, let me try to word it this way. This is, this is what I'm becoming convinced of that the more is. The more is that I'm surrendering to the ways of Jesus in the unbearable moments of my own life. So, so let me try to word it this way. I, I was, uh, in fact, I, I, I told you I'd refer to this. I was reading Luke 22 a couple days before I got to 45. I was reading verse 10. And, it, and, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, I want you to go and, you know, get a room ready for the Passover. Right? Uh, this is what we call the Last Supper. Luke's account gives this in verse 10. It's just jumped at me. He says, when you enter the city, a man will be carrying a pitcher of water follow him into the house where he goes. I was like, wait a minute, that's odd. I've never heard anybody preach about that before. I don't know if I've preached about that before. That's interesting. So I pause on it for a moment. Follow the man carrying a pitcher. Jesus is saying, here's, here's what my leadership will look like. Wait a minute. 
a man, a master of a house in Jesus' day, in the disciples' day, wouldn't be the guy carrying the pitcher. And seldom, by the way, would it even be a man. Normally be a woman. So it's quite unusual that it would be a man. This man had to be a servant. Whether in whether in actual role or not, his heart was to serve. And, and wait a minute, isn't that exactly what happens a little bit later? In, that, in those verses where Jesus' disciples are there sharing this meal, the Passover meal together, and then they're saying, Jesus, oh, by the way, which one of us is the big cheese? Who's the greatest? And Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves. So, beloved, let me come back to this verse, John 16. I have more to say to you. Jesus, what's the more? The more is choosing the ways of Jesus in the unbearable moments of life. That, that means, watch, I, I've begun to pray the Beatitudes almost every day. And, and I want you to think about this. Finding more in the unbearable moments means that I, I begin to believe something that's counterintuitive to my flesh, which is, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. I live surrounded by an external message, and if I'm honest, an internal message that says it's really good when I'm happy. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Wait a minute. I thought the powerful get to conquer everything. Blessed are the meek. They inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. I don't like hunger. I like to quench it when it comes to bother me. See, the more the kingdom is quite literally the opposite of the, of the kingdom of the age and what my body says that it actually needs to have, the more, beloved, is discovered when we not only find comfort in his presence in the unbearable, but that we follow his leadership in the ways of Jesus that's actually about dependence. And so, beloved, I want to just say this, that the more is about, not about quantity, but it's about a way of life. It's about our values and our priorities. It's about who and how we want to be more than just what we do. It's about following and doing the life of Jesus. The more is not so much that we can explain the unbearable moments of our life, but that we embrace Jesus, who's chosen to participate with them, and experience the kingdom where the poor get the kingdom, where the mourning, where those who mourn are comforted, where the hungry and the thirsty are filled, where the meek inherit the earth, and so on. I have a lot more to say to you, but right now you cannot bear it. You know, God has set up a kingdom and an economy in which he's called us image bearers that we're called to represent who he is to the world around us. The good news that we proclaim on this Trinity Sunday is that God knows there is such a thing as the unbearable, but he's not left us alone. Rather, he's come to us. 
not just to free us of sin, but to embrace us in our pain, to speak life to the lie of aloneness. And if we'll allow him, he is never more present than when we are walking in the unbearable. The God who bore our sin and our grief still meets us in the unbearable. And the more he invites us to, beloved, is about living a life of responding to him. Amen? You know, the corresponding Old Testament text this morning is found in Psalm 8. And I just want to quote a couple of verses out of it from the message. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we come to the close. But, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is out of the message translation. I'm going to just skip down several verses. Why do you bother with us? Why do you take a second look? Yet we've narrowly missed being God's. Bright with Eden's dawn light, you put us in charge of your handcrafted world, repeated to us your Genesis charge, making us stewards of sheep and cattle and animals out in the wild. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I want to invite you to respond to this morning um, with this prayer. Would you pray it with me and then we'll come to communion. Let's pray this prayer together. God of delight, your wisdom sings your word at the crossroads where humanity and divinity meet. Invite us into your joyful being where you know and are known in each beginning and in all substance. In every redemption that we may manifest your unity in the diverse ministries you entrust to us, truly reflecting your triune majesty in the faith that acts, in the hope that does not disappoint, and in the love that endures. Amen and amen. I want to invite us to come to the table and to share in proclaiming Jesus' life and death. Uh, 